Welcome to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast with Dr. Nuno Carrero, where we explore career opportunities and discuss contemporary topics within the field of veterinary and animal science. Welcome to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast. We're kicking off this podcast series by exploring career opportunities as a veterinarian. Joining us today is Dr. Jillian Fraser. She's assistant professor and staff veterinarian at Becker College, and she also serves as the chair of the pre-veterinary program. Welcome, Jillian. Hi, Nuno. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you. Good to see you. Jillian and I are both veterinarians working in academia, and typically we're engaging with undergraduate students face-to-face on campus. But because of this current circumstances regarding this pandemic that we're going through, we've missed a lot of these unplanned student interactions. And so we thought we'd do this podcast to get this information out uh, to students or anyone else that might be interested in a career in veterinary medicine. So hopefully you enjoy the insights. Jillian, I think that's what I missed the most about this past semester, almost year, is not being on campus or not having students on campus are these informal interactions where you really get to know students. How about you? How's this past semester gone for you? Same thing. That's really what I miss is the uh, the one-on-one conversations that we'll have before and after class down at the clinic, walking between buildings on campus. Those are really the opportunities to get to know the students and their interests and their goals and their questions. Everyone had, there's no one path to vet school. And so um, to be able to help these students as they navigate their own path um, is really one of the favorite parts of my job. So I do miss that very much. Yeah, so let's tackle some of those questions that we often get uh, from students as we're walking from between classes and maybe they stop by our office hours and, and we chat. But before we dive in, can you share a bit about your veterinary career? Because like you said, you know, you and I are both veterinarians, but we've probably had different paths to where we are. So how did you first become interested in veterinary medicine? Well, I was one of those kids who always wanted every pet I possibly could, um, but I had an allergic father, so did not have very many pets at home. I fell into being a barn rat and riding other people's horses and mucking stalls to support my horse habit. And through those interactions and um, my love of, of working with horses, um, I did fall into some of the medical care, and I found that it was really the the diagnosis and treatment um, and sort of seeing the progression from fractured splint bone puncture wound 16 weeks later to healthy again. That, that was really what I found to be, you know, the most, most intriguing. Those were the kind of problems I wanted to solve um, in the future. And similarly, when I did, I, I considered several different careers. I was, I really thought I was pre-med for a long time. I thought about conservation medicine. I thought about studying marine biology. I did an internship in during my first year of college at the New England Aquarium. And again, in that experience, it was the you know the individual seal pup that had a skin disease, and sort of understanding how that was diagnosed and treated, and and watching through um, recovery of that that individual, that I really felt like the medicine was was going to be my calling. But still, it was through through the third year of, of college that I was still pre-med, thinking I was going to be working on the human species. But I found that all of my spare moments really were spent either as much as I could volunteering with uh, the animal shelter at the barn, 
shadowing veterinarians, reading publications that the veterinarians would give me. And I really felt that that was my passion and I couldn't ignore that, that calling anymore. So I did wind up taking a gap year because the, the prereqs at the time for med school were less um, stringent than the prereqs for vet school. So I needed a little bit of time to take an extra class. I worked in a vet clinic at the front desk, which I have to say is the mo- I find the most challenging job in the entire animal hospital, and spent that year um, just preparing the rest of my applications. So it was a roundabout path, but I, I did explore, and I think that's important to explore a lot of other options on your way, just to make sure that you are on the right path and and you've looked at the other options as well and and decided against them. Yeah, I think you bring up some really good points as as you walked us through your path. And is that, well, first, you know, a lot of students have the misconception that they have to be pre-vet majors before applying to vet school. And that's not true, right? I mean, we... Correct. uh, I was a biology major. Yep. Yeah. So you were a biology major. And if we look at the population of vet students and their undergraduate majors, uh, they're kind of all over the place, aren't they? Absolutely. And and you can be any major you want. And I think that that's important to to get as well-rounded an education as you can um, and to really, you know, study what interests you most. The You just need to make sure that you're covering the prerequisite courses at each of the, the vet schools to be able to qualify to apply. And uh, I think we'll touch on that a little bit later. The um, so, But absolutely, you, you can be any, any major as long as you cover the prerequisite courses to prepare for your vet school applications. Yeah. The other thing that you bring up is the timing. I mean, for you, it was third year of college. For for others, might be, you know, uh, earlier, you know, high school. Um, yet for others, it's even after you graduate with an undergraduate degree that you decide that you want to pursue veterinary medicine. Um, so all these all these pathways and poss- you know, are possible. Mm-hmm. In my internship class, we had someone who had their MBA and decided to go to vet school. I've heard of people um, who've gone to med school and then gone to vet school. So that's the whole One Health approach <laughs> right there. We've got a human covering all the species in the world. Um, so th- there are a lot of um, a lot of uh, diverse pathways uh, to get here. Uh, the other thing we can touch upon is, is the gap year. Uh, I think that's really interesting, too, because I think students sometimes are very focused on getting to vet school but we know that it's a big commitment, right? Time-wise and, and financial, uh, a big financial uh, commitment. And so sometimes they really need time to think about it and explore the opportunities there. And sometimes they're really hesitant about taking a gap year. What are your thoughts? Uh, what can you share about your gap year? For my gap year, I mean, it was essential. I, I hadn't, I wasn't qualified yet to apply um, because I wasn't going to be able to complete all the prereqs before matriculation. So, and we'll talk about that later too. You don't have to have finished every single prereq to apply, but they need to be finished before matriculation. And you want to have as as many of your prereqs uh, as done as possible. So for some people, it's that you just need to take more classes before you can apply. I found it helpful because I really came in um, very much refreshed and, and ready to go, very excited to start. And and first year is exhausting. <laughs> it really is. And I think second year is just as exhausting. You're just used to it by then. And so um, so I found that having had that year off to really get focused and really excited about it and really certain about, about the pathway, um, just give me a good start at vet school. But that's going to be different for everyone. Some people fear that if they take a year off, they're going to lose their momentum. And that certainly is a possibility. Students often will ask me, well, will a gap year hurt my application. And I'd say it it wouldn't hurt. And it can help if you plan it well, you use it wisely to strengthen your application and to to, uh, prepare for both the application and your matriculation. Well, thanks. That's really insightful information as far as your personal 
story and where you got where you are. Can you share a little bit about, you know, post-vet school? So where did you go to vet school? I went to Tufts, class of 2000, turn of the century. All right, class of 2000. And then after graduation, what did you end up doing? After graduation, I did an internship in small animal medicine and surgery at the Animal Medical Center in New York City. And that was an amazing year. Um, While I uh, didn't wind up pursuing residency afterwards, it gave me a lot of experience and really helped me to increase my confidence to go out into general practice afterwards. Uh, Which you did? You went out into Mm -hmm. general practice? And where was that? Initially, it was, um, well, I've been with uh, VCA at various hospitals since 2001. Um, Initially, I was working in in Larchmont, New York, so outside New York City, and then uh, moved up to Northborough, Mass. Um, A couple of years later, transferred within the the corporate practice. And how did you make the transition to academia? Like what kind of what interested you in, in teaching? So at the point that I was applying, I was, it had been about 14 years or so in practice. And I loved what I did, but I found myself wanting to do something different with my brain. The Certainly, I mean, we, we continue to learn something new every day in this field, but a lot of the challenges weren't so much the diagnostic workups anymore, but the, you know, challenges with you know, clientele or with team teamwork and so on. And that, those are good challenges to work on. But I was looking to do something a little bit different. And so I just started exploring different options. While I was doing that, I was really reflecting on what part of my job I like the most and happened to be volunteering at a clinic called Tufts at Tech, which involves a technical high school at a city near where I live and the veterinary school, Tufts Veterinary Students, serving um, clients with financial Uh, difficulties um, to provide care to them. So it served a need for both technical high school, for the veterinary assistant training, for the vet students to have some primary um, practice experience, and also for the community um, where there's very much a need for this type of lower cost care, lower cost but high quality care. And they had uh, volunteer veterinarians from the area. And I, in my volunteer days, I just, I found myself so energized. And I was thinking, oh, what is that? Why am I so energized after this really long, busy, busy day? And I think it was the the energy from the students, the, the veterinary assistant students, the, vet, um, the veterinarian students, and sort of that, that teaching component of sharing my knowledge and my experiences and seeing them like, you know, make those aha moments, be so excited about, about what they were learning. And that really energized me. So I thought about that as I was looking for different positions and eventually landed in the, the combination teaching and clinical position at Becker, which I felt was a good fit for me. Yeah, that's great. I, th- I think you make a point, a, a good point of why I also love this profession is that there's so many opportunities, right? People often think of as veterinarians as um, the person in the white coat treating cats and dogs in the clinic, which we definitely do that, but there's so much more to it, right? So let's talk a little bit about the different roles uh, for a veterinarian, because we're not just, our role is not just to protect animal health, but we're also, also helping to protect human health. So in, in discussing the, the various roles and career paths uh, for veterinarians, I mean, let's start with where do most veterinarians end up? Well, the majority of veterinarians are in private practice and mostly in small animal practice. I believe it's a little over half of veterinarians in the United States are in that type of practice. But we can't forget that we've also got a large animal, for, um, farm animal, equine vets, got uh, veterinarians that 
work for the government, work for USDA and for APHIS, uh, work in the military, work in biomedical research. Um, there's just a huge diversity of, of opportunities out there for, for veterinarians to serve the community. And I absolutely agree with you there that, that we're, we're helping the, the, the advocating for the health and welfare of the um, species that we're caring for, but in doing so, we're um, contributing to the health and well-being of humans as well. We're so interconnected. So most vets work as companion animal veterinarians. So what you think of cats, dogs, uh, uh, of course, horses can be considered companion animals. And then you have the food animal component. You have uh, veterinarians that focus on food animals like, you know, cattle and, uh, you know, pigs, goats, sheep. Honeybees. Honeybees, yes. We are now, <laughs> we probably have a whole slew of uh, honeybee veterinarians out there. Uh, especially with the new laws changing uh, recently. Uh, even within private practice, there's so much opportunity, right? Because of all the board specialties, uh, basically, right? So when you go to the doctor and your general practitioner says, oh, you know, you really should go see an ophthalmologist uh, because you might have an eye issue or you might go see a cardiologist because you might have an underlying heart issue. Uh, the same is true for the veterinary profession. So can you speak a little bit about board specialties and, and what they are? Absolutely. So after after you, we'll, we'll start off from graduation. After you graduate from veterinary school, you'll take your boards and then you're, you're licensed to treat any of the species um, and go into general practice. From there, you can do an internship as I did. And if you do an internship, then you can apply for a residency. And that's the path to become uh, a board certified specialist. And like you said, any of those specialties that you can think of within human medicine, they've got it um, within veterinary medicine as well. So radiology, pathology, cardiology, ophthalmology, dentistry, I took my own dog to see a neurologist last week. So the, the specialties are out there. So, so for those who really want to focus their studies on one, one specific uh, body system or area, that's a great path to take. Great. And there's also other opportunities, as you mentioned. For example, we know that the military hires uh, veterinarians or enlists veterinarians. Personally, I know two classmates that ended up taking uh, on the military scholarship or the Army scholarship. Mm -hmm. So... Typically, that's your second year of veterinary school. They offer this Army scholarship. Uh, they pay for three years of your veterinary school, and then you serve, um, I believe, three years afterwards. And, and that's a whole different opportunity there. You know, those veterinarians, they also have uh, different types of jobs to do, whether it's to take care of the military dogs. Uh, they, there's um, veterinary bases um, all over the country and overseas. Um, and also veterinarians play an important role in food inspection and safety, not only in the military, but also in civilian life. As you mentioned, USDA hires uh, veterinarians too. Of course, we can't forget academia, uh, which you and I are both uh, part of. What are some of the jobs within academia uh, that veterinarians can, can be a part of? Well, at, if you think of any, any of the levels of, of study, we're in an undergraduate institution uh, that has a veterinary technology program as well as pre-vet students. Well, we were, I am. <laughs> and, um, and then there's the, the veterinary school level, training the veterinarians our veterinarians of the future. I have you know, heard of some vets actually going and teaching at the high school uh, level as well. Some um, sort of as a um, sort of a different career path for them. 
in addition to or instead of veterinary medicine in the future. So I, I've seen them use their education and understanding of biology to be able to teach at pretty much any level um, that we choose. Yeah, I've seen that too. That's really exciting. There's a lot of programs at the high school level that have now come up where they're training uh, veterinary assistants and kind of getting students earlier on into this career path uh, to go on to become, whether it's a veterinary assistant and then go on to be veterinary technicians. And then if the interest is there to go on for um, a professional veterinary degree. Same thing with community colleges. A lot of veterinary technician programs are at the community college level, two-year programs. So a lot of opportunity for veterinarians to be involved there. Uh, and as you mentioned, veterinarians also train future veterinarians. Great. So lots of different opportunities. There's probably even more. I know veterinarians that work for non-governmental organizations or NGOs and that sort of uh, work. Um, and also research. You know, we can't, lots of veterinarians in, in the research world, not only in academia, but also in industry. So we're talking about pharmaceutical companies that make uh, medicines or um, vaccines, vaccines, <laughs> especially in today's today's world that we live in, in this pandemic. Before human trials, there's there's animal trials. A lot of times for these vaccines to become approved, and there's veterinarians um, behind that work too. And you know, we happen to live in in Massachusetts, which is an awesome state for biotechnology companies. And a lot of these biotechnology companies also have great opportunities for veterinarians. Anything, any, any, any of those that come to mind as far as in, in the biotech industry or pharmaceutical company, Jillian? I do. I've had some of my classmates who've worked for um, in industry supporting the training of their sales reps for various um, pharmaceutical, veterinary pharmaceutical companies or veterinary nutrition companies as well. So some pet food companies. And a lot of them have really loved the companies that they've worked for and the opportunities for travel and, and meeting people and and uh, they found that specializing a little bit, you know, going down a less clinical road, but really um, understanding the products that that company is developing and and uh, and marketing, um, and really like being part of that type of team. You um, you bring up some some good ideas too. It's not just pharmaceutical companies like you would think. Like Pfizer is um, is in the news quite a bit right now. So Pfizer hires veterinarians. They have an animal health division. Uh, but also pet food companies will hire veterinarians. Those veterinarians can also become board certified uh, mm -hmm. nutritionists, right? Yep. And become specialized in that area. So lots of different opportunities for you as a veterinarian. Now let's talk a little bit about educational requirements. What kind of educational background do you need to become a veterinarian? Well, not every school, but most schools will want to see a bachelor's degree, sort of the the, usually the the routine time to the traditional time to be applying is the summer after your junior year from matriculation after graduation from a four-year program although there are some schools that don't require a bachelor's degree they recommend it but you might still get in without it and for those who are looking to really reduce time and um, tuition I and mean, getting there that might be an option to look at but for the most part um, most vet schools re recommend getting a bachelor's degree within that there's prerequisite courses that are required. So in general, uh, usually two semesters of biology, general biology, general chemistry, organic chemistry, biochemistry, uh, physics, mathematics, usually including statistics. Most will require one or two semesters of English and English composition. 
And then there's a variety of other requirements and, and it's hard to say, you know, across the board, what are, what's the best group of courses to take because each each school is going to have slightly different requirements. So some require public speaking, others might require cell bio and genetics, others might just say take as many upper level science classes as you can. So it, the important thing I think is planning ahead and looking if, and looking at the schools that you might be interested in, seeing what their prerequisite courses are, and then planning accordingly. Great. So your goal should be get an undergraduate degree <laughs> in general, right? Mm -hmm. And as we talked about before, it doesn't really matter necessarily what major you are, but what really matters is those prerequisite courses. And so maybe doing a little bit of research ahead of time and making sure that you're you're meeting what these um, veterinary programs are requiring. And then so once you finish up your undergraduate degree, you apply to vet school. And how much time do you spend in vet school? So vet school is a four-year program. Um, and the first Generally, the first two and a half years are spent um, in a sort of traditional didactic format, so lectures and, and clinical skills labs and so on. And then in your, usually in your last year and a half is when you're out on your uh, clinical rotations. And it's in that last year that you'd be taking your, your board exams as well. So four years to get your DVM degree. Four years to get your DVM, and then you take your national board exam, which kind of tests you or assesses you on the knowledge that you've gained in the last four years. And then, of course, you need a veterinary license, which we're not really going to go into, but um, it, it does vary from state to state. But you need a veterinary license from the state that you plan to practice in. Now, going to vet school, it is a big, not only time commitment, uh, as we just went over, but also... It's a big um, financial commitment too. Can can you give our listeners an idea of what the um, what to expect as far as cost of veterinary schools? And I know that can vary depending on the school, but any any guidance on that? So that is going to vary based on the school, based on your residency as well. Some of the uh, state schools do have a lower tuition than the private schools. And some of the schools allow you to declare residency after a year of being a student there. Others do not allow students to declare residency. So those are the factors, some of the factors that will make a big difference in the overall tuition. And then we also have to keep in mind that during this time, you'll, you're, you're very much full-time studying. It's very difficult to work on the side. So um, these are four years where it's unlikely you'll be earning a, a significant amount of, of money as well. A lot of people think I'll keep working and, and that'll help defray the cost, but I, I think that would be very, very difficult to do. And then there's also the, the cost of living. So that's going to vary um, based on, on where you are. What I think is most uh, one of the more useful websites for, the, for students trying to get an idea of how much vet school might cost is a website called vetschoolbound.org backslash apply smarter. And there's an interactive map that you can enter your state of residency. And then it will show you each of the, the 50 AVMA accredited schools um, and what their um, four-year tuition is, four-year tuition plus cost of living. I think they even include interest and, and you know, all sorts of different factors that you can click a box to have it uh, calculated or not. So that, that's a great, great tool um, because it's going to depend on, on where you are and where your state of residency is and which school you're going to. On average, I, the, the high end is around $450,000 was what I was looking at for an out-of-state resident at some of some schools. And I think the low end was close to about 200 to for the four-year uh, tuition and living expenses. A big range 
in tuition costs, but still something to really consider, right? Time-wise and, and financially for anyone that's truly considering uh, going to vet school. You essentially a ha- have a mortgage on a house without having a house when you graduate. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And now on the, on the other side is is the salary expectations, right? So any idea what a new veterinarian coming out of vet school, kind of what those average salaries are like? That's very much going to depend on where you are in the country and which species you're working with, which type of job you're taking for the you know, over 50% of the um, small animal practice where you're looking at around, on average, they said it was around $80,000 for their starting salary. But it's interesting to me when they look at average salaries of all small animal vets, it's around 85-ish. So you don't really see a huge growth in salary through the years for most veterinarians. Beginning salary really depends where you're practicing and where you are in practice. So companion animal veterinarians, they tend to start off at about 80,000. And I have some other numbers here, which you can get off the AVMA website. They put out an economic report, I think every couple of years, and but I'll put those links to the AVMA on the show notes. Uh, mixed animal practice, veterinarians tend to start off at 74,000 a year. Uh, and then kind of a lower salary range for equine veterinarians, um, again, starting out at 52,000. I think some of these veterinarians you know, with a few years of practice might be able to increase their salaries. Uh, But nonetheless, those are the starting salaries for um, each category. So if you're looking into a career as a veterinarian and you've, you've looked into the information that we've discussed so far and we haven't totally dissuaded you and you want to know more, you should know that veterinary schools and the profession as a whole, uh, they look for certain qualities in potential veterinary candidates. Uh, so, Jillian, can you speak a little bit about what veterinary schools or, you know, what we as a profession are looking for in future veterinarians? Like, what sort of qualities are we looking for? Sure. Good question. Um, when I reflect on sort of what what skills I need and I draw on every hour of every day, I'd say communication skills is at the top of the list, both written and oral communication skills. You could be the best diagnostician in the world. And if you can't communicate to the client what their pet needs and how they're going to deliver that and make certain that the client understands that, you're not going to be able to help that pet be healthy. So I think communication skills are are really high high on the list of, of, of what vets need. Problem solving skills. So um, hopefully you like a good puzzle because <laughs> each uh, each medical case that, that you see or a surgical case even, you know, involves um, putting a lot of pieces together, some critical thinking, drawing on experience and knowledge, looking into additional knowledge, getting help from specialists when you need it. So problem solving um, is, uh, is, is another important skill to have. And then, you know, certainly empathy, being able to put yourself in your patient's shoes, in your client's shoes, in your teammate's shoes, having some empathy and sort of understanding where other people are coming from, I think is, is important too. Goodness, I could go on and on. Do you have any others you want to add? No, I, I think so you really hit some high notes. You know, um, obviously vet schools are looking for intellectual ability. They're oh, looking yeah, for well, that, that too. <laughs> That's a good right. <laughs> Yeah, that goes without saying, you know, um, but that goes with the problem solving, you know, having to put together information. It's not just knowing the information, it's knowing how it goes together and how you can use it to uh, further analyze a case, to integrate that information 
and to problem solve when you're diagnosing and coming up with a treatment plan. Also working in teams, right? We as uh, working in academia and professors, that's something that we're always trying to instill in our students is working together as a team. Everyone in the team is is valuable. And as veterinarians, we work with a diverse team. You know, veterinarians, veterinary technicians, the client is part of the team, the patient yeah. is part of the team, the front office staff is part of the team. And we have to be able to establish those good working relationships with no matter who you work with. So I guess it's a pretty good list. You know, I think you also need the power of observation, observing our patients. Our patients cannot speak to us in... in <laughs> In normal language, you know, but having that observant, having that power of observation of knowing when an animal is feeling not 100% or painful or when it's about to bite, all those things are important. Absolutely. I think one that isn't necessarily what, what they might be uh, top of the list of what they're looking for in vet schools, but I think is super important to work on before you enter the profession is is some uh, stress management, um, time management, and self-care skills. There's a lot of stress involved in the profession that that I think a lot of us, you know, going into it weren't, weren't necessarily, you know, expecting. And the, the ability to um, take care of yourself and your team during the more stressful days, I think is really, really important to prevent burnout. Inevitably, you will experience compassion fatigue throughout your career at some point, at many points. And so being able to recognize that and have some, just some some ways to, to draw on how to work through those challenges and help each other through those challenges, I think is important. And it's something that the, the profession as a whole, I think, is paying more attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I both encourage our students to do that even at the undergraduate level, right? To start those habits, those healthy habits of kind of work-life balance to start now and not wait until vet school or beyond, right? Other other things that, that students, uh, that vet schools look for, well, first, I'd like to say you might notice that the first thing on top of the list that Jillian and I did not mention was maybe the, the love for animals, right? It's kind of a given, right? You really have to like animals, love animals. Sometimes students, that's what they start off with. Well, I really like animals. And that's great. Um, your love for animals is great. It's essential. But honestly, it's it's just, it's not enough to be a successful veterinarian, right? There's so many other things that you can do within the animal field that does not involve, you know, what veterinarians do. And for all the reasons that we've mentioned, your your skills list has to be much bigger than just your love for animals. Absolutely. I think too, just to go to go into the profession, there's so many things you can do with animals and helping animals and working with animals and not being a vet. So so you sort of have to understand why you don't want to do all those other things and you do want to do be be a doctor. And if if there isn't a love for for the diagnosis and treatment and the science behind it, then the, the love for animals is not going to make up for that. And I encourage students who who really aren't in love with learning and science and and uh, continuously learning for the rest of our lives that that there's some other great careers in the animal pathway that won't require quite so much studying after uh, after vet school even, and to just sort of consider a lot of different paths before deciding on this one that is does take a lot of a lot of time and a lot of money. <laughs> and and so really to consider that before you get into into applying for vet school. Yes, that's a great segue to the next thing I want to talk about, which is challenges of veterinary practice. And we've already kind of alluded to some of them. But what would you say as 
you can draw on your own experience as a private practice veterinarian if you can think back to that time. Like, what were some of the major challenges for you? I think early in my career, this most of the stress would come from just that that I hadn't had enough experience yet. And that's where I was really glad I had my internship because I got a lot of experience quickly. But in the first couple of years, I didn't have that experience base to draw on for confidence. And so I worried a lot <laughs> about my patients and my decisions. And um, and it was very, very lucky to have some excellent mentors early on. So that that was that certainly was one of the, um, the stresses. The other thing that I hadn't really thought about much and that I didn't really enjoy as part of my job was the fact that you do have to have a discussion about finances with pretty much every single appointment you have. You know, in a perfect world, everything would be free, right? But but that's, we, we run a business and we have to be able to support, pay the rent and and pay um, pay our technicians a, a good living wage and, and pay ourselves as well. And so, so it is a business and we do need to charge for our services and we do need to make sure that we're not giving things away as much as a lot of clients say we probably should because a lot of times they'd say, oh, but you love animals. So you're just in it for the money then if you're going to charge me to take care of my animal. So that took me some time to sort of get over um, and sort of figure out how to how to combat that uh, mentally. But yeah, so that conversation about how much things cost, it was something I initially I felt like a salesperson that I had to say, I'm recommending this blood work panel and this is how much it costs. But but eventually with time, I learned that this is, is part of our job is to you know evaluate the patient, come up with a problem list, our, our diagnose or um, differential diagnosis, determine what diagnostic tests or treatments we we need to do, and then present that information to the client along with how much it will cost in the short term and potentially in the long term, so they can then make good decisions for their own budget and for their their pets, and for us to come to the best solutions that we can within their financial means is an important discussion. And sometimes that does does lead us to the conversation of euthanasia as well, which is another thing that I think that students need to think about ahead of time, that that is something that you do quite a bit as a veterinarian is the end-of-life discussions and end-of-life care. So yeah, I think, I think I wasn't quite as prepared for all those financial discussions to happen every single appointment. And that just takes some time and confidence getting used to that as well. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. I think students should also be aware that being a veterinarian sometimes involves having long hours, and sometimes it's hard to uh, to leave your work at work. Uh, as you said, you know, especially at first, it's really hard as a new veterinarian to kind of turn it off and, and turn it back on at will. And depending on your position, you also you also may have some on call hours, right? Mm-hmm. So people might be calling you all sorts of hours at night, and you might have to go and 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 treat as an emergency or on-call veterinarian. And so all of that could, you know, does lead to kind of a stressful uh, environment at times. And so that's why it's really important to develop these habits, as we talked about before, to kind of be able to balance your your work life and um, your private life and, and having some strategies to deal with that. But enough of that, of the challenges, how about because obviously we're in this profession because it's very rewarding and it can be very rewarding. So let's talk about some of the rewards. Let's talk about why we do this. Absolutely. Great. And that all comes back to the animals, right? That was our starting point. And then we had to find, you know, sort of dig deeper to find our path to be an animal doctor. And so, and then those very much are are the high points. I think for me and part of why 
I stayed in general practice instead of pursuing a residency as I really love the relationships that I had with the families who and individuals that brought their companion animals to me. Sort of establishing those relationships, our veterinary patient-client relationship, establishing that we're, we're all on the same team and that I have a, an important role to play in that pet's lives and in those people's lives. I really, in many, many cases, felt like part of the family, sort of part of that circle. <laughs> and for a lot of people, their pets are their, are their babies. They are their children, and uh, they treat them that way. And so um, it can play a very important role in, in their lives. So seeing families from, you know, puppyhood through the, 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 uh, the 14-year-old Labrador, you know, having seen them through their whole life is something that you don't necessarily get to do as a specialist. And I, I really enjoy as a um, as a general practitioner, and and having the opportunities to educate clients on ways to keep their pets healthy, you know, preventive care, whether it's teaching them how to brush their teeth and teaching them the importance of regular oral exams under anesthesia and dental cleanings. It's great when clients can be on board early, and we can really keep that the pets mouth healthy for, for, for most of its life. The, uh, you know, opportunities to educate clients about zoonotic diseases so we can be keeping their pets parasite free and as healthy as possible to be living in the household with them and their children. And, uh, and, and all the way through to the end of life care, as sad as euthanasias are, that's usually where I get most of my thank you notes, where you really can help people um, through a difficult time and provide comfort at the end of life for many of our patients and help clients through those difficult decisions about when it's time for euthanasia and help them through that that hard time. I think during COVID, that's one of the hardest things for me is sort of, you know, the relationships are still there, but the connections are a little bit hard to make, especially with the clients you've never seen before. Our clinic is doing curbside pickup for this, you know, for the safety of our staff and for our clients so we can continue to provide these essential services. But it's it's a little bit harder for me to sort of make those connections over the phone. I find myself going to the windows and at least talking through the window, coming out to be the one to, to bring the pet back to the, to the car, um, just to make those connections. That's what I really miss uh, during COVID. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better. You really encapsulated why I also like general practice is really those connections. I like being the family veterinarian. I like being, as you said, part of the family and seeing the puppy grow up and seeing how much, how much a difference a pet can make in somebody's life, you know, at multiple levels. Um, also, something that's really rewarding on a personal level for me is uh, I really find the profession just mentally stimulating. It, I'm never bored. There's always something new to learn. And there's so many just different opportunities uh, to be engaged in this profession. Anything else before? Yeah, yeah oh, I absolutely agree with that. I love my uh, continuing education requirements. I get to go off and be a nerd for a week somewhere and study something some more and, and just uh, take some deeper dives into to topics. So absolutely, you got to be in the Love to Learn Club. And, and if you are, then this is very rewarding because you absolutely will learn something every day. Every patient, every client, you know, every every appointment you have is the opportunity for you to learn something as well as to be helping that patient. But you very much learn, learn continuously and, and you have to, to stay up to date. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think we can probably go on for, uh, for quite a while with all the rewards and, and all the benefits of being a veterinarian and, and what we love about being a veterinarian. So as you can see, we spent a lot more time on the rewards and the challenges just because <laughs> that's, uh, you got to be positive and that's what we focus on. But just, just to end up this segment you know, in preparing for a career as a veterinarian, let's just say I'm a high school student. Like, what should I be doing as a high school student right now? If, I, if I've listened to this and I've been thinking about a career as a veterinarian, uh, what should I be doing? 
I think the first step really should be to explore the profession. And in doing that, um, looking for opportunities to gain experiences with animals, with veterinarians, and really start sort of thinking about, you know, is, can I see myself in that person's shoes? Are, are these the kind of problems that I like to solve? Is this what I want to be dedicating my life to? <laughs> so, or at least the next, you know, couple decades. So just looking for opportunities to gain that experience. And, and there are a lot of different ways to do that. Ultimately, the vet schools, and we'll go into this in more detail later, but vet schools will be looking for veterinary experience, which is under the supervision of a veterinarian. But they also ask about animal experience, which is any experience with an animal not involving veterinarians and not under the direct supervision of a veterinarian. And then also research experience and leadership experience and work experience and community service. So, so, so keep track of all of those things that you do. You know, in, in reflecting on what you find rewarding that might help you to um, find the right path for yourself, but also don't limit yourself to species or opportunities that you think are, are what you have in mind for your future. There's um, a lot of times doing something a little bit different opens doors to opportunities and uh, avenues that you might not have even considered. I, I think uh, I remember a a personal story of yours um, going in that direction that that uh, sometimes doing something that you don't think is the path you want to go on actually can open many more doors in the future for you. So things like um, shattering your veterinarian, you know, shattering sounds, you know, it's kind of boring just walking around behind somebody, but you get so much information by seeing what they're doing moment to moment throughout their day. And that gives you the opportunity to develop mentorships with veterinarians, which will be important down the road for letters of recommendation as well, but also to help you navigate your career path. Volunteering, animal shelters, um, and so on are good places. That's where I started and, uh, you know, getting jobs <laughs> on, on, you know, dairy farms or at a, a horse barn. That's, that was one of my other starting points as well. And there are also a lot of different formal internships out there for, for high school and then college level and, and even for beyond college. A lot of vet schools out there have summer programs to help students explore the, uh, the veterinary profession, zoos, aquariums, um, uh, wildlife facilities. Sometimes we'll have internship positions as well. So those those are worth exploring. But in high school, often just, you know, shadowing your veterinarian, uh, volunteering at an animal shelter. You know, if you're looking for, for sort of entry-level jobs at a vet clinic, often kennel assistants, they'll start training on the job. Or like I said, that front desk is one of the hardest jobs in the hospital, but that's what I did um, after college for a year. And, and anything along those lines that, that help you to better understand uh, the profession that you're getting into. Great. So that that is that is some great advice, and I think we can we can end the segment here. And as um, Dr. Fraser said, we'll be talking about uh, and focusing on the application process to veterinary school. But some some great advice. My guest um, has been Dr. Jalen Fraser, assistant professor of veterinary sciences and step veterinarian at Becker College, and she's also the chair of the pre veterinary program um, there at Becker College. Thank you so much for for joining us today. Thank you, Nino. Thank you for listening to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast. You can find all the resources and links discussed on today's program in the episode's show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, and we'd love to hear from you, so send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes to theacademicvet at gmail.com.